is a special, interesting week in our country. Election day is on Tuesday, so I wanted to share some scripture with you. Romans 13.1, up on the screen for you. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. You can just leave that up for a second. Why should you vote? Here's why. In America, we have the privilege of electing the governing authorities that it talks about in this scripture. In Rome, when Paul wrote this to the Romans, they didn't have a choice. They got who they got. And then they were called to submit to that government as long as it don't, didn't go against what God commanded them. But it's a stewardship for us. For Americans, it's a stewardship that God's entrusted to us. And frankly, it's really wasteful and ungrateful to God to not vote. And you might be like, well, Romans 13, well, that, that scripture you just shared says God ultimately puts rulers in place. True. He doesn't need your vote to accomplish his plans. But he's decided to use people's votes in America as the means to accomplish his plans. You with me? So not voting is trusting in God's ends without trusting in his means. Does that make sense? So get out there and vote. Um, But I want to bring you some comfort as well. I know that this election has been tumultuous to say the least. But here's the deal. Nothing can stop God. Nothing can stop his plans. On November 4th, on Wednesday, when you wake up, no matter what has happened or, or maybe hasn't happened, our, we don't have to be consumed with worry or fear or what ifs because God, Jesus, our King, will still be on the throne and we can trust him no matter what happens. So get out and vote, but take comfort and courage in the fact that God's still on the throne. All right, let's turn our attention to Romans. We're in Romans 5 this morning. While you're turning there, I want to share about a couple friendships in my life, a couple relationships in my life. So um, if you can throw that up. Yeah, so this guy, this is Andy Norris. Um, he's a good friend of mine from camp, from my college days. He's a pastor down in Des Moines now. Um, but Andy and I have a, a pretty transactional relationship. And most friendships are like that, if we're all honest. Um, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, that sort of thing, right? Um, we're doing a skit right there. If you know Hidden Acres at all. It's the quarter boy skit. It was a good time. Anyway, that's Andy and I. Um, this is my wife, Heather, okay? And this was actually at, at Corwin and Megan's wedding, or-ish. Um, we were watching it, live stream. Um, but our relationship is, is also a bit transactional, but it's way more relational, okay? At the end of the day, I am going to sacrifice for her. I've committed to sacrificing for her, for loving her um, in sickness and in health, for richer or poor, all that, right? It's not, it's not just, you know, if she recipro- reciprocates and vice versa. It's, it's transactional. You get something out of it, but it's also very relational. And relationship with God is not just transactional. It's also very, very relational. And so we're going to see in this passage, Paul's kind of a turning a corner in the book of Romans. He's, he's talked about how we have right standing with God. He's talk, he talked about that particularly in Romans three twenty one to the end of chapter 4. But now he's turning corner and saying, you don't just get right standing, justification. You also get a right relationship with God. 
reconciliation. It's relational. So that's what we're going to see. So we're going to see right at the beginning in, in verse one, he even makes a transition. He says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith. And he says it again in verse nine, that since therefore you have now been justified by his blood. See, Paul's argument builds on top of itself, especially in the book of Romans. But he's saying, hey, God doesn't just go, hey, here's salvation. Hope you're happy. I'm a busy guy. Peace out. No, that's not God at all. God saves us, and then he gives us himself. Relationship with the king of kings and lord of lords. So I want to read this scripture. And we're going to see in Romans 5, 1 to 11, that the emphasis is on the work of Jesus. So it says all of these things that we get, but he just comes back to it by saying through and by. And so while I'm reading, I just want you to notice that. So um, this morning, I'd like you to stand as we read God's word. And and while you're standing, here's here's why. Um, I want to differentiate between Matt's words this morning and God's words. Okay. But I also want to do this because this passage is, has been really special and beloved by the church through the centuries that people have, have clung to through difficult times, through, through great times. It's just, it speaks for itself. So let's listen to God here. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved By his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You can have a seat. If you missed it a couple weeks ago, we've got these uh, Romans journal Bibles. It's on a table on your way out today. Um, If you want to grab one of those, it's free. We want you to have that to be able to use however you see fit. But notice as I read this, I emphasize that the through and the by. See, it talks about relationship with God, but, but we can't forget the rest of this time. I'm just going to focus on all the things we get in relationship with God, but don't forget that it's all peace, joy, grace, love, friendship. All of these things it mentions are not earned, but given to us as a free gift the moment we trust in Christ. So what's relationship with God like? It's peaceful, we see right away in verse 1. It's peaceful. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, since therefore we, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
What's it mean that relationship with God is peaceful? Well, here in verses 1 and 9, it's particularly talking about reconciliation, but kind of one part of reconciliation. Reconciliation means this. It means going from enemies to friends. It goes from being enemies with someone to being friends. And we see particularly the fact that we were enemies and now we're not in these two verses. Both verses are saying that right standing with God produces right relationship. It says in verse 9, the anger, the punishment, the wrath of God is gone. Peace is given to us. No longer enemies. The air is now cleared. It's it's not focused on the friendship part yet. We're going to see that towards the end of the passage. And it's still not super personal yet, but now he's using relational language. Peace. Let me, let me give you a human example. And I'm going to give you a bunch of human examples this morning. Let me just say this. Every example I'm going to give is going to fall way short because I'm giving a human example of relationship to a relationship that's indescribable between God and us. So it's, we just have nothing else to compare it to. But um, a human example here of, of uh, going from enemies to friends, particularly not being enemies, having peace, um, let's imagine you're backing out of your, your driveway and you accidentally run over your neighbor's cat. Okay. It's just a cat. I mean, <laughs> no, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You cat lovers. Let's, let's pretend you run over your neighbor's cat. They love their cat. Okay. So you go to them and you're like, I'm so sorry. I ran over your cat. I didn't see it. Um, and they, they're mad. They're like, you can tell they're mad and they just kind of, okay, thanks for telling us. It'll be all right. And you know it's not all right, you know, and there's just kind of this weird friction going on for a while. Okay, you, you're probably kind of their enemy, even though they know you didn't mean to. It, it, they maybe have in the back of their head, well, maybe they did mean to. I don't know. So you're kind of enemies for a while. And then after a while, you notice that they, they not only tell you that they forgave you, but they also start to walk in forgiveness and they start to be warmer towards you and start to, to say hi and have conversation and life gets back to normal before you ran over their cat. This is, this is kind of what it's like, okay? With, with our relationship with God that we have, we have peace now. It's going from enemies to friends again. Now, let me, let me tell you about a story uh, of myself experiencing this type of peace with God, going from enemies to friends in my own life. So um, in high school, uh, I had a, a not-so-God-honoring relationship with a gal. And for years and years and years, I beat myself up. And I always felt a little off with God because of it. Now, a f- years later, I finally realized, I mean, I, didn't, I, always, I always knew this, but I started to live in and, and really believe that Jesus had forgiven me for that. That he wasn't holding it against me anymore. There is no punishment for that. He's forgiven me because of what Jesus did. His blood covers that. And so then I started to actually experience the peace of God that was available to me right away. But I chose not to walk in it and live in it. See, relationship with God is peaceful and he's offering it to us all the time. And that alone would be fantastic. Declared right, forgiven, anger and punishment gone, peace with God. But do not give in to the lie that so many Christians give into. A lot of believers functionally live like this. They live like, I'm not, I'm not going to hell. 
um, and he's just tolerating me now. But it's way better than that. God doesn't just go, hey, you know what? I took care of your sin. That's cool. Um, You know, and and now just have this kind of indifferent relationship towards us. No, that's not it at all. It's actually intensely personal, this relationship that God offers us. And it's almost unbelievable. So let's keep reading. We don't just get peace. We get grace. Verse 2. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Grace. Grace is unearned favor. Particularly here, it says grace in which we stand. That means the unearned favor of God through the work of Christ. Now, what is this favor? What is this grace? It says in verse 2, it's access to the king of kings. We've also obtained access by faith into this grace. We have access to God himself. 20th century pastor and writer J.D. Smart said this because he was probably smart. Access to this grace is access to God. Grace is not something apart from God, but is God giving himself to us in his graciousness. It's access to God. We have unhindered direct access to the God of the universe. Let that sink in for a second. I was, I was driving in my car this week and I was thinking about this message. I was thinking about this passage and I was talking to God and it just hit me. While I was driving, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm talking to God. I'm talking to God about talking to God, about talking to you about talking to God. Which, if you can follow that logic, but it's, it's unimaginable. Why would I get to talk to God? Why would we get to talk to him and be assured that he hears us and knows us better than we know ourselves? What grace. We don't deserve this. We have access to God himself. It'd be like if someone really famous that you look up to, maybe Michael Jordan, maybe LeBron James, probably not LeBron James, but uh, someone that you look up to, if they just started texting you out of nowhere. Somehow they got your number and you had this text relationship going on with someone that you really look up to and respect. I've experienced this grace lately, this unearned favor of having access to God in my journaling. And I'm not a big journaler. Don't, don't get, uh, don't get me wrong. I journal maybe once a month at best, but I often am just journaling prayers. And I, I was looking the other day and I had on one page one month, I was journaling about how distraught I was about some stuff, just, just down about things. And then almost exactly a month later, on the page right next to it, I was praising God and, and finding a lot of joy in him. And, and guess what? My circumstances hadn't changed. But what helped me was gaining perspective, realizing that God is always pouring out his grace on me. I was helped by by having this perspective of the peace and the grace and the joy that God gives me, even in the middle of terrible circumstances. So what's relationship with God like? It's peace-filled, it's grace-filled. Thirdly, it's joy-filled. Joy, if you were here during our Philippians series, we defined as this. I think it's a good biblical definition. Joy is satisfaction and delight in God, independent of circumstances. Satisfaction and delight in God, independent of circumstances. Relationship with God 
gives satisfaction that's found in no one or nowhere else. Relationship with God gives, gives you delight like no one or nothing else can. Relationship with God gives us satisfaction and delight even in 2020. And it says in this passage, it, it says rejoice three times in this passage. Three sources of joy in relationship with God. And the first one is actually the last one, but this is the most important. Joy in God. Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what makes joy independent of circumstances. We, we find our joy in our unchanging, unfailing God. Circumstances always changing, our feelings changing, God steady, faithful. God is the continual source of our joy. As long as God continues to be God, as long as Jesus still died on the cross and rose from the dead, we will still have access to joy in God. God will continue to be an unending fountain of joy for us. Look at Psalm 1611. It says, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Relationship with God is joy-filled because God himself is full of joy. An unending fountain of joy. Second source of joy in relationship with God is joy and hope. We see in verse 2, the last part. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now what's hope? Hope is confident expectation. Or at least biblical hope is confident expectation. It's not like we use it today. It's not like my kids every Sunday going, I hope we can go to Pizza Ranch for lunch today. Right, Joy? By the way, we're not today. So, wah, wah, wah. It's, it's not like, I hope it doesn't snow tomorrow. It's, by the way, it's supposed to be a great week. Get out there. 60s, 70s, amazing. But it's not like that. I hope it's going to be 60s and 70s this week. Even that's not the same. The weatherman said it. Eh, you know. No, it's 100% assurance that it's going to happen because of what Jesus did for us. That is biblical hope. Confident expectation, it says, of the glory of God. New Living Translation says, We confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. That helps us understand what he's talking about. Sharing God's glory. We have a hope, a confident expectation that we are going to have perfect, glorified bodies in heaven with Jesus someday. Think about this. You have a pain-free, conflict-free, annoyance-free body and existence for eternity waiting for you if you've trusted in Christ. If that doesn't give you hope, if that doesn't fill you with joy and peace, I don't know what will. It's this confident expectation, this hope that gets us through even the hardest of times. And that leads us to the third source of joy in relationship with God, joy in suffering. Look at verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. See, it's not just getting through suffering. As Christians, we, 
we, we don't have to just get through it. We can actually find joy in it, it says. But here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, yay, life is awesome. Celebrate bad times. Come. I mean, it's not that. That would be ridiculous, okay? It's this, it's this under the surface confidence, this unshakable confident assurance and satisfaction that even though life is terrible right now, God is using this to make me even more confident in him. How? It says it right here in the passage. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Commentator Doug Moo uses this illustration of hope like a a muscle. A muscle uh, isn't strengthened unless you use that muscle, okay? So I want to show you some pictures of some tennis players, all right? So look close. You don't see it right away, but look at that dude's arm versus that arm, okay? Especially this guy. This is Rafael Nadal. This isn't great to show that, but these guys also have like one Popeye arm, and the other one's just like... Yeah, just kind of there. Okay, that happens to tennis players more often than you think. Um, because, well, you, you just use one arm a lot, right? But here's my point. If they don't work out that other arm when they're not playing tennis, you end up looking like that. Okay, your, your, your muscle isn't strengthened. It's not useful anymore. And the same thing for us. Hard times strengthen and stretch our muscle of hope. Let me give you a human example. I can get through a difficult week better if I have a confident expectation, a hope of a game night with friends at the end of the week. That may not be your cup of tea, but that's, that's what can help me get through a difficult week, or I have a vacation coming up the next week or something like that. But how much more when we're, when can we endure suffering with confident expectation and hope of eternity and heaven? I mean, to the point that we can find joy in suffering because of that hope. Now I experience God's joy often in corporate worship, right here with y'all. Joy, remember, is satisfaction and delight in God, independent of circumstances. It's, it's amazing to me when you have a group of people get together and we're all bringing in all sorts of junk. Let's just be honest. We're all broken people bringing in all sorts of things that are stressing us, that are worrying us, that are stretching us, that are, that are really trying us. And we're bringing this all in here. And we don't even know most of it. And we come in here and we decide today, no matter what's going on in my head and behind the scenes, I'm going to choose to worship God because he is worthy. That brings me so much joy to watch that. I don't even have to open my mouth and sing. I just walk in and go, whoa, that is supernatural when you think about it. Why would a group of people choose to do that? The only reason is because God is worthy and he is full of joy. And I get so much joy watching that and experiencing that with you. What's relationship with God like? It's peace-filled, it's grace-filled, it's joy-filled, and it's love-filled. Look at the end of verse 5 through verse 8. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Love filled. Here's what love means in the Bible, particularly God's love. Love is sacrificial care. Sacrificial care. Lots of people, though, I've, I've found out, don't get too excited about God's love because they have in their mind this, this gushy rom-com thing in their head. Okay? Or, or should we say rom-coms that pose as rom-coms but are actually roms and you start watching it and you're like, oh, man. I mean, not that I watch a lot of them, um, but it's, it's a lot of people have this, this, this view that's only partially right of God's love. It, it, God's love is deep and intimate. Uh, yes, but it's also sacrificial and that's critical for us. Think, think about it like this. It's way less like sleepless in Seattle and way more like frozen. Okay. Now, if you haven't seen, well, I'm not going to explain these movies, but in Frozen, here's, here's the important, in Frozen, Anna rescues her sister by standing in front of her when she's about to get killed, okay? Sacrifices herself for her sister. See, that's, that's the part of God's love that we, we need to get a hold of. When it says that God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, it means that God not only deeply, intimately cares about us, but he cared about us to the point that he, that it produced action. He did something. Okay. A lot of guys really resonate with that. Okay. Not to be too stereotypical, but a lot of men are like, yeah, I just, I show my love, right? See, that is God as well. This love though is so radical and sacrificial because it's, it's for undeserving doofuses like me and you. Think about it. It, it. What Paul says here in these verses, he says, hey, you know, someone might die. Someone might run out in front of a car for a righteous person. Or um, that just means like a morally upright person. Let's just say like an acquaintance at church. That you know tends to be an up, upstanding person. Someone might run in front of a car for them. Someone might run in front of a car for a good person. A little less likely or a little more likely a good person here just means someone that maybe has treated you kindly. Maybe they paid for lunch for you the other day. But imagine running in front of a car for an enemy. Someone that's just drug your name through the mud and taken advantage of you. See, Jesus gave up his life for enemies, rebels, sinners, not for a good person, not just one enemy, but for any enemy, anybody, any sinner who believes in him. So I want you to close your eyes for a second. Don't fall asleep, but just close your eyes for a second. And I want you to think of the sin in your life that you most regret. What's something you've done in your life that you most regret? Keep your eyes shut. I still want you to picture Jesus here. 
I want you to picture Jesus in the middle of that sin. You're committing that sin. And in the middle of it, him coming up to you and saying, I love you so much that I gave up my life to forgive you of the very sin you're committing right now. Open your eyes. That, that is God's extravagant love for you. Relationship with God is love-filled. Lastly, relationship with God means we have friendship with God. Verses 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Remember, reconciliation is going from enemies to friends. This is the friendship part. We're now friends. The New Living Translation captures this even better. It says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because of our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Friends with God. Friends with God is way less like friendship with peers and way more like friendship with a mentor. Someone who's, who's mentoring you or counseling you. Um, my mentor, Steve Jones, was in my shoes as a pastor for 30 years. He's preached here before a couple of times. But I, when I sit down with Steve, I don't even pretend like I have anything to bring to the table. Okay? I just come with questions and I come there ready to listen. But yet, Steve treats me like a friend. He's warm. He's kind. He's compassionate. See, that's, that's more what friendship with God is like. Yet it doesn't even come close. Because God being our friend is way more one-sided than that. I actually might have something to bring to the table with Steve that he could learn from me. But I have nothing that God could learn from me. He made me. He knows everything. What, what could I bring? Yet, he's gentle and lowly. He's accessible. He is warm. He is caring. That's friendship with God. Here's how I experience friendship with God through Christ. Daily, every day, I hear the voice of God. Clear as day. It's like he's sitting across the table from me having coffee. I certainly wouldn't be drinking the coffee. But it's like that. It's like sitting at a coffee shop. I hear him every day. How? The Bible. But not just reading words on a page, okay? I, I'm not talking about that. When, when I rush into reading the Bible or just do it to check off my list, that doesn't happen. Friendship's not happening there. Then it feels more like reading a textbook or a news report. What I'm talking about is, is when you sit down, and, and I, this is what I do. I, I, based off of 2 Timothy 3.16, I, I ask God, come and teach me, encourage me, or correct me. Maybe do all three. Teach me, encourage me, correct me today. But I need you to do that, and he is always faithful to do at least one, usually all three, as I read his word, as I hear from him, and I talk to him about his word. Enjoy 
the friendship that Jesus bought for you by not just opening the Bible, but by hearing from him as the greatest mentor, friend. It's surprising to me and sad to me how many believers I talk with that neglect reading their Bibles altogether or just do it with no hint of friendship. It's just like reading something else, reading a, a, a post on Facebook or reading an article online. Enjoy the friendship Jesus bought for you through his word. So God is relational. And he's freely given you relationship. He's freely given you his peace, grace, joy, love, and friendship. Enjoy it. Are you enjoying this relationship with God? One for you at the cross. Or are you just kind of taking it for granted? I want you to listen As I end here, I want you to listen to Jesus' relational plea to us as believers. This is his plea to us all the time. This is often used in in like um, evangelistic crusades, but this was actually Jesus speaking to the church, speaking to believers. Hear his voice. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him. And he with me. Enjoy what Jesus has won for us this week. Open that door up. Let's pray. God, thank you, thank you, thank you that we have access to you. But beyond that, we have your sacrificial love and joy and peace and friendship. The list goes on and on. Forgive us for the times where we just take that for granted, where we just live like you don't even exist, where we live like um, you're you're kind of disinterested in us, or we live like we're just doing it on our own. Forgive us for that, God. Help us to enjoy what we have. I pray that even now you would fill us with joy and peace as we sing, as we together just choose, no matter what's going on this morning, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to enjoy relationship with you. Help us to enjoy that right now as we sing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.